Hello, hello. Oh my goodness, it has been a hot minute. How are you? How has your end of year been? Thank you so much for tuning in here. I am so grateful for your ears and never take them for granted. My name's Willie Russo and chances are you're tuned in here for the art content. I've been working on a couple of little side projects and as much as I love art and talking with creatives, over the summer I thought I'd bring you a couple of episodes Uh, Something a little different as a little bit of holiday listening. They're not specifically art related. They're life related. So if it's not your vibe, don't worry. I'm going to start labeling the podcast episodes with art or life straight up. So within a second of looking at them, you can figure out if it's something you want to tune into or not. This first life episode is actually a celebration of a project I launched 10 years ago. And in the end of 2023, I had three separate inquiries about this project, which made me think, maybe I need to revisit it. It's a pretty personal project, and most of you would know if you follow me here on the podcast or on my socials, I don't really talk about me. (laughs) So it feels a little strange bringing this back out into the world. But 10 years ago, I wrote a non-fiction book, a collection of 10 stories about women who never gave birth to children of their own. The book's called Couldn't, Wouldn't, Didn't. Not a super catchy title. (laughs) It doesn't necessarily roll off the tongue. But with all first projects, we live and learn. And at the end of last year, three separate women from three different occasions approached me about the book, asking if it was still in print or where they could get it. And it wasn't in print. And I had a couple of copies at home, which I was able to give to one person, but yeah, it wasn't available. So I have put the book back in print and then thought also, maybe I'd read you the introduction here and introduce you to the 10 ladies here. I'm the 11th chapter in the book and at time of writing it 10 years ago, I was undecided if I wanted children. Um, I have since tried and unfortunately not been able to have children. So can I tell you, rereading this book recently, it was very strange and it almost made me a little nauseous. And I wonder if for you, when you see some of your early creative projects, are you like, what was I thinking? Or what was I doing there? Anyway, I thought I'd bring this to you here in case you have someone, a loved one, a friend, a daughter who may be pondering this topic of whether or not they will have children. You can grab the book. It's now available on Amazon. I'll link that in the show notes as well. And that's definitely the cheapest place to find it. Don't go to Booktopia. No offense, Booktopia, but you've got some crazy price on it. So I'll link it. It's on Amazon. Couldn't, wouldn't, didn't. Insights into the lives of women who never gave birth. So the book starts on the contents page. There's first up a note to the reader, then an introduction, and then what I call state of play for women today. Now, bear in mind, this book was written 10 years ago. (laughs) So some um, some things may have changed, but most things are probably still pretty spot on. Now, go wherever you want in reading the book. Meet whichever lady appeals to you first. Each chapter is an individual story, and so when you finish a chapter, you say goodbye to one lady and hello to the next. You can make your way around the book and meet whomever you please 
whenever you please. Now, each chapter is introduced with the lady's name, her age at the time of the interview, her star sign, and three words she would use to describe herself. Now, I don't know why I did that, but I kind of felt like, you know, like we all like to know each other's star signs or like, you know, if someone asks you to describe yourself in three words, what would you use? So anyway, I hope that gives you a little snapshot of each of the women in this book. A note to the reader. I spent 12 months interviewing women from around Australia, and it is only due to their generosity to share their story that this book transpired. Now, some of the women I knew before the book was ever an idea. However, there are others who are complete strangers until we sat down to talk about what is an extremely personal topic. Some of the stories are sad, some are funny, some of the names have changed, and some have not. In some of these stories, the women are talking directly to you. For others, I'm telling their story for them. And one of them is question-answer style. One thing they all have in common, though, is that they are all real, everyday women, just like you and I. Now, I need to make this clear so there are no surprises once you get started. Some of the women in this book have children, just not from their own womb. My story is inside as well. I'm the final chapter. I thought it was only fair that I share mine too. Introduction. Do I want a baby? Am I ready to turn my life as I know it on its head to put someone else first always? Have I studied and worked hard for the last 15 years to put that all on hold? I know we have Cheryl leaning in and having it all, the career and family, but let's be honest. I'm not Cheryl. I'm just an ordinary 32-year-old girl trying to make something of my mishmash career and figure out if I want a kid or not before my biological clock makes the decision for me. And what if you never meet the guy, a guy, any guy, before your biological clock runs out? Not that a guy is necessarily essential anymore. Neither is a girl, actually. Some same-sex couples are having children at increasing rates courtesy of donors, surrogates and adoption. Also for the single girl who is sure motherhood is her thing, you read all kinds of articles about women performing home IVF using a friend's sperm and an awkward-looking but rather appropriately designed turkey baster. Seriously, how is it so easy for some women to A, know they want to have a child and B, fall pregnant at home with a baking instrument from Woolworths? There are women paying thousands to get the job done professionally. Or should I say at least trying to get the job done professionally? Because even then, there are no guarantees that after you spend $8,000 and enlist a medical expert, that you'll fall pregnant. I count myself lucky in that I have a partner who is keen to try for a baby. And yet, I'm still not sure. So how do some women know and why don't I? I had the perfect setup for starting a family. I was engaged to a great guy. We'd bought a house and a puppy. All in all, life was peachy and I was living the dream of most 30-year-old women I knew. Slight problem though. (laughs) I wasn't sure it was my dream. I wasn't sure if I was ready for marriage, babies and all that comes with embarking on that life journey. And what if I never was? What if I missed the boat and never had a baby? How would my life be? As I tried to answer this question for myself, I started researching. I found plenty of books and information on 
reproductive health and pregnancy and IVF, a book saying, don't have children, they're the devil, and that's not how I felt. And then books about women who hadn't been able to have children because of extreme health conditions, and I wasn't in that boat yet either. There just weren't many books on women who weren't able to have children or who actively decided not to. I'd seen the evidence of happy people who had children, but what about the other side? What about the women who didn't have children, whether by choice or circumstance? How would my life be if I ended up in that category? I started talking to women I knew who hadn't had children and then figured if I was looking for this information, so too might someone else. In the process of trying to solve this dilemma, I doused my life in petrol, struck a match and threw it on. The outcome of that burning pile of precious rubble is this book. In the following pages are stories of women who will inspire you, make you laugh, make you cry, or maybe just comfort you. The collection of stories spans the spectrum from women desperately wanting a child to those not really being all that maternal. They are an interesting, intelligent, and courageous group of women, and I hope you enjoy meeting them as much as I did. The state of play for women today. It's a great thing that has happened for women. We have more choices. To have children, to not have children, to have a career, or to try and have it all. Career, family, and me time. However, there is a dark side to choice. It can be paralyzing. You can have so many options and want to make sure that you make the right choice, that in turn you do nothing because you don't want to make the wrong choice. When I think about the previous generations of women, such as my grandmother and mother, I'm intrigued at the thought as to what went through their minds when they were thinking about starting a family. In my grandmother's day of weddings and babies, the 1940s and 1950s in North Queensland, where men worked in the cane fields and women in the kitchen, getting married and having a family was a woman's main occupation. It wasn't really a case of if, more so just when. My grandparents were typical of the era. Grandad worked tirelessly on the cane farm, and Grandma kept the house clean, their five children fed, bathed, and clothed, a hot meal on the table each night, and an evening kiss on the cheek for Grandad. All without the luxuries of a washing machine or a dishwasher, online groceries, or a microwave. However, her day was not done there. With the children in bed and the family dog Lassie on watch, out to the paddock she would go with Grandad to help them finish the day's farm work. Lassie proved worthy of his name when on return one evening, they found the dog under the baby's crib with a black snake shaken to death in its mouth and the baby still fast asleep, none the wiser. Imagine telling the Department of Child Services that the family dog was the evening babysitter, but that was what they did in their day. That was the life of a successful wife. Fast forward to the 1970s and 1980s and it's my mum's turn to contemplate weddings and babies still in North Queensland where farm work was now more machinery than manpower, and women had jobs, but maybe not necessarily careers, life was still about family, but time and education were on the increase for women, which meant so too were opportunities. The introduction of household innovations such as the washing machine and dishwasher gave women more time away from household duties, which meant study or jobs outside the home were possible. Add to that the medical innovation of birth control and women could plan when and how many children they had. For instance, my mum attended sugar school and worked in the local mill before marrying my dad, a cane farmer, and having three children. They waited for a few years before they had their kids, and once we arrived and were in kindergarten, mum then returned to work at the mill. 
With mum at work, dad helped out with feeding and bathing and clothing of us kids. Now, welcome to the year 2000, the new millennium. As a woman of the next generation, I had tertiary education, overseas holidays, and moved away from home to explore the world all before the age of 21. Opportunities that I took as rites of passage rather than the possible dreams of my previous generation. Come 2012, Australia has a female prime minister, the richest woman in the world is an Australian iron ore magnate, and girls receive Gardasil vaccine in school. That's a vaccine for the prevention of sexually transmitted human papillomavirus. Things could not be more different from my grandmother's era to now. Imagine trying to explain to my grandmother that they are giving needles to girls in school to protect them from sexually transmitted infections. Her knowledge of the sexual organs and reproductive system was so limited that when told by the nurse she was about to give birth to her first child through her vagina, she did not believe them. Women have more choices and more control than ever before. They have options ranging from having a high-profile corporate career with no children through to a career focused in the home, raising a family, the home career woman. There are even these superwomen who imagine to have both a career inside and outside the home. Although surely, superwomen must rely on outside help for some tasks. Superwomen are said to have it all, but I beg to differ. Surely having it all is having a lack of sleep or sanity. There are many out there, but two examples that come to mind of Australian women who manage to have it all are leading Australian high-end designer Colette Dinigan and revolutionary spray-on skin creator Dr. Fiona Wood. Both of these women have led very high-demand careers and both have children and partners who rely on them. If there was an option to have it all, who wouldn't want it? Who wouldn't want the manicure and pedicure, the surf and turf, the coffee and cake? Who wouldn't want the financial independence, the mental stimulation, and the easily measurable success that can come from pursuing a career outside the home? You successfully lead projects, you build on your skills, you get promoted, you make money, you get a fancy title. Life is rewarding in a... I'm achieving things, my mind is stimulated, I can buy a house and go on holidays kind of way. Having and raising a family provides a very emotionally rich, character-building, heart-extending type of satisfaction. There isn't a fancy title or annual salary, but there are warm hugs, handmade birthday cards, and heart-swelling moments like graduation days to let you know you're doing okay. Seeing your child grow up to be a good person who contributes positively to the world is possibly better than any corner office promotion. There is a cost though. Something has to give, and in the case of most mothers I know, whether they work outside the home as well or not, sanity and sleep are at the top of that list. This cost can be a stumbling block for women due to the fact that their prime years for a career within the home tend to line up with the prime years for a career outside the home. Generally in your late 20s and 30s, you've studied, worked a couple of entry-level, not-quite-right jobs, and have finally figured out where you fit in and what you're good at. Well, that was me at least. Just as things are heating up professionally and you're making designs on a promotion, your biological alarm clock starts beeping. <laughs> you might be able to hit snooze once or twice, but come your late 30s when you are definitely reaping the rewards of a number of years slogging it out professionally, your ovaries are screaming at you, it's now or never, sweetheart. For women, it is definitely a case of get in before they're all out. Your eggs, that is. But what if you do leave it too late? Or you never meet anyone? Or you have health issues? Or you just never feel the urge? Is the alternative all that bad? Can life be full and rewarding for a woman if she doesn't have a child of her own? 
there is a growing breed of women who do not have any children of their own, and they're still somewhat of a mystery to society. Her almost defiance to conform and want what all women are supposed to want confronts and confuses. So what happened? How did she come to be? If a woman hasn't been able to have a child due to circumstance, then it's pretty straightforward. She's unlucky and unfortunate. Society can handle that fairly well. They pity her. However, the woman who opts out of having children by choice stirs up all kinds of feelings. Is she selfish, shallow, career-driven, foolish, removed? Do we like her? Do we not like her? She's an enigma of sorts that is yet to be fully accepted into the folds of community. But she's increasing in numbers. So the welcome party? Better prepare. Oprah, arguably one of the world's most well-known females, is childless. Lorna Jane, the women's sports fashion label icon, recently stated she chose not to have children so that she would stay in love with her career. Cameron Diaz also confirmed that she chose to be child-free. Little side note, Cameron Diaz has since had children. (laughs) I think she got a surrogate with her partner. So maybe a better person in that instance would have been Jennifer Aniston. Although I think if we're talking about the child-free, childless, you know, that the differentiation there, I think Jennifer Aniston would be childless because I don't think she necessarily chose not to have children. Back to the book. And for these women... Even with all of their respective achievements, their parental status, or lack of, inevitably comes up. Life is no longer as straightforward as it was in my grandmother's era. The world is competitive and judgmental. Search the statistics and you'll find divorce rates are increasing, but so too are marriages, actually, which means people are still tying the knot, but over a third of them are getting divorced. Life is financially strained with the cost of living and the cost of raising a family increasing, so much so that some couples state their reason for not having a child is due to the financial burden. Mothers are increasingly going back to the workforce, which is not all bad if it's their choice. But if they're going back for financial reasons when they would prefer to stay at home and raise their baby, then that's a shame. Then there are the people who have children because they think they should, because everyone else is. At times, children are almost like a badge of honour, like the stick figure family stickers on cars. Yes, I have a husband who likes to barbecue, a little girl who does ballet, and two boys who like to kick a football to each other. And yes, that's me on my mobile phone because I work a high-profile corporate job, as well as my husband, to pay for this SUV with mag wheels, tinted windows, kids' private school fees, and holidays overseas each year. Now... That's obviously a massive generalization, okay? And I know how popular those stickers are and that they're more so just a cute trend that kids undoubtedly love to be a part of. But seriously, I don't even have a child and I feel the pressure that my mum friends go through. Things like what extracurricular classes should kids attend? What allergy-free snacks can they take to daycare? What school is going to give their child the best start in life and not send the family bankrupt? I mean, it's crazy out there. There is then the pressure of child safety. No longer do parents have to be worried about who might be outside the school gate. They now have to contend with what kind of evils are trawling the internet, lurking in homes via superfast broadband. And with the increase in tablets, laptops, and mobile phones, these evils can even be on the couch or in bedrooms, leading to potentially just as much danger inside the home as out on the street. Look, it's not all doom and gloom, though. Scientific and technological advances have definitely benefited families. Medical innovations are helping kids live healthier, longer lives, and applications such as Skype or Zoom are enabling faraway parents to see their children, all of these having a positive impact on the family unit. 
One advance has had the greatest impact, though, IVF. This one critical medical advancement has arguably had more of an impact on the family of today than any other. Some families wouldn't even exist without it, and others may not be as big. For the family unit itself, the tide is definitely changing. In three generations, we've gone from man marries woman, man gets woman pregnant, woman raises family, man provides income, to today, man marries woman, or woman marries woman, or man marries man, or no one gets married, couple gets pregnant naturally, or courtesy via IVF, or surrogate, or donor, or both, or they start their family via adoption. One person may stay home to look after the family, but don't assume it's the woman because house husband is common vernacular these days. And if neither of them stays home, the family is raised by a childcare professional either in the home or at an establishment, potentially for the cost of one person's salary. Alternatively, couples or individuals don't have children and therefore spend all of their time, money and energy in interests purely of their own. The family unit has come a long way in three generations. And with it, so has the thought process of what a woman contemplates when she inevitably asks herself the question, will I have a baby? The ladies, I'm going to introduce you to the 10 women who contributed to this book. And I'm just going to read you their little introduction so that you can get a sense of what the stories are amongst the book. First up is Deborah. She's 47, she's a Leo, she's married. The three words she uses to describe herself are organized, energetic, fun-loving. And her intro is 14 years of IVF, approximately $180,000, two relationships, and still no baby. Number two is Frida. She's 95, she's an Aquarius, she's single. Her three words are independent, faithful, old, and her introduction is, there just weren't any men around during the war. Number three is Sarah. She's 54, a Gemini, and she's engaged, free, joyful, and loyal. I'll have 10 kids with no husband. That was her intro. Number four, Rebecca, 39, Libra, married, Loyal, fun, and values integrity. I prefer my children with fur, but I love my stepkids all the same. Number five, Debbie, 50, Pisces, married, brave, kind, happy. It was me or a child. Cancer decided that one. Number six, Sally, 47, Gemini, married, and Sally had a great range of fr three phrases rather than three words. So her three phrases were anal retentive, private, professionally decisive, but personally a warrior. And her intro is, I thought my career, my husband and traveling the world would be enough for me. I was wrong. Number seven, Vanda, 41, Taurus, single, funny, real, at times isolating. Being straight or otherwise, walking down the aisle and having a family just never really appealed to me. Number eight, Steph, 42, Gemini, married. Her three words were loyal, naturalist, humorous. And Steph's, take, Steph's intro is, humans are a disease infecting the earth. I'm not going to contribute to that. Or so I thought until I fell pregnant. 
Number nine is Jade, 41, Virgo, married, optimistic, creative, never give up. Her intro is, I somehow knew I wouldn't have to name my children. Number 10 is Alison, 28, Libra, married, neurotic, focused, obsessive. Everyone tells me I'll change my mind, but I won't. I know I won't. So they're the 10 ladies in the book, plus me. I'm chapter 11, but you'll have to read the book to find out. Couldn't, wouldn't, didn't. Insights into the lives of women who never gave birth. I hope it either comforts or helps.